that you're we're just so glad you're with us and hope that you feel welcome here because you are welcome and if there's anything that us pastors can do for you this week uh, just uh, give us a call or a text our numbers are on the back of the bulletin and we just want to be there for you in any way that we can so just uh, join us and uh, be welcome uh, we've got a few things this week on uh, Thursday, we have uh, Ladies' Night, and that's a new thing that the, the ladies' ministry team is starting back up, so you should come check that out from 6 to 8 p.m. here at the church. should be a nice time. Uh, they want you to bring a snack to share and play some games and uh, just be a part of that, so please come and, and do that. Um, we're also uh, helping out with College Ministries. That's a, a ministry up at the college where several of us churches have gotten together, and it's just an opportunity to do evangelism up there. We kind of have some meetings and some groups that, that go on up there, but that's a, a huge ministry opportunity up there, and our church has committed to bringing snacks for this coming Tuesday and then the 25th. So if you can just bring some college-age snacks, that's, that's like lots of caffeine and sugar, to the church, um, that'd be great. We just need to be able to be a part of that. So bring those, drop them off at the church for this Tuesday. So that's, you know, need to bring those tomorrow. And uh, then the 25th as well. Then uh, we have a trail life tomorrow night, uh, starting at 6 o'clock. Um, just come. Uh, it's, if you haven't been involved in that, it's a ministry for boys five to 17 years old, and they just come and do boy stuff. It's really great. Aiden, my son, has had a great time with that. So if you're interested, uh, you can uh, kind of look that up. It's called Trail Life, and join us. Then uh, we have, uh, let's see. Oh, we need some help in the nursery um, between Sunday school and the early service and this time. So I know that that means that maybe you're not going to be able to go to Sunday school. So you're going to have to pray about that. But we just need some help. We need some help during that time. There's, there's just a lot of uh, babies that uh, it's, it's, a, it's a great minute. If, if you'd be interested in that, please uh, talk to Micah, Micah Rodolph back there and join up with that. And then lastly, we're going to hear some more about this, but we're going to have some shoe boxes. If you walk through the doors, you saw those shoe boxes all stacked up, and uh, we're going to talk about that some more. But that's a great ministry that we get to be a part of, so I hope you'll uh, be waiting that. Uh, let's stand up and worship the Lord. God, thank you for being our God. Thank you that you brought us here. Thank you that your hand has worked in our life, Lord, to to bring us to this place to worship you in your house, Father. And even in these ministries mentioned today, all the things that you have us doing, Lord, here in town, in our world, Lord, in our nation, God, amongst our neighbors and the people that live around us and that we work with, Father, your hand is working, Lord, and we are part of it, and you picked us to do that, Lord. I'm so thankful and grateful for you. Pray that we'd worship you with our whole hearts today. Amen. Seven this morning, so read with me if you would. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Be gracious to me and answer me. Take it away in Spanish. Oye, O Jehová, mi voz con que a ti clamo. Ten misericordia de mí y respondeme. The Lord has been gracious to us this morning. Let's sing of that.
Dig in a little and push it, maybe, when we start it. This is a blessing. Fire up that click. We'll go. All right, if you return to your places, we'll sing again this morning. Sing about the goodness of God.
here this morning. So many smiles, the children just become wild and crazy. It's indescribable. To watch that child open that box for the very first time and see the look on their faces, it's amazing that God used a simple shoebox to bring that much joy. This is amazing as you can see the children's faces, they're excited as they open up the gifts for the first time. What makes the gifts more than just gifts is the message that comes with the gift. This is the opportunity for a child to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the best gift of all, is becoming part of God's family. Thank you. We are very happy. God bless you. Yay! These people back behind us, they're giving their time. Families have given boxes, the enthusiasm, the excitement, it's off the charts. We're just so thankful for these volunteers. We couldn't do it without them. They are the heart of the ministry. And because of them, many children, like even me, accept Jesus as the Lord and Savior. What children need more than anything is love, hope, and faith in God. Every shoebox gift is an opportunity to share your faith. We thank you for this ministry that is yours that you use a shoebox gift to go around the world to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. It starts with a simple shoebox gift, and from there, these gifts go around the world and are given to each child. It could be in a pickup truck. It could be the top of a bus, the roof of a taxi, camels and donkeys, canoes going up the river, whatever it takes to get these gifts into the hands of children. And that's only the beginning. After children receive the box, they get to go through a 12-lesson discipleship course. And these children, they're committing their lives to Christ. And they get to share their faith with other children. After a child completes the greatest journey, they graduate and receive a certificate and a Bible in their own language. My name is Romina Alejandra. I really like to draw and cook. One day, I was drawing, and I wanted some markers. And I asked my mother if she could buy them for me. She said no, because she didn't have the money. Today, we received gift boxes. When I opened the box and saw the markers, I was very excited. I learned about God through the box. Today, I prayed that Jesus would come into my heart. I am very grateful to everyone, to God, and to you all for bringing me this box. This box provides the opportunity to put a smile on a child's face, gets them to know more about Jesus Christ, and also be disciples so that they can be disciple makers in the world. trained and equipped to go out and share their faith with others. And many times in areas where it's an unreached people group, the Bible tells us the time is now. We have seen churches being planted. We have seen people being transformed. The mission of Operation Christmas Child never changes. Children are coming to Jesus and children are taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. This is incredible. 
Millions of children around the world are being impacted by these simple shoebox gifts. One box can touch not just the child, but the whole family. So we need to keep packing those boxes and pray for the children that God will use this in a very special way. So thank you for being a part of it. God bless you. And needs to get a box, at least one. Brenda Link, she's our link. She's our link to the boxes. So she's our coordinator, and she has a few words for us. Just a couple of reminders. Um, if you haven't packed a shoebox for a while, um, first I want to say thank you um, for considering packing a shoebox. Um, there is um, a table out front by the office there that has the information that you'll need on what you can include and what not to include in a shoebox. Um, also, make sure you get a label because they're not in the boxes this year. So just laying on the table out there, make sure you get a label. Um, there's been inflation with Operation Christmas Child as well as the rest of the world. So they are asking for a $10 donation for shipping and handling, that kind of stuff. Um, I know it's getting tougher for us to be able to spend that kind of money um, packing a shoebox. So I'm asking that um, anybody that's maybe not considering packing a shoebox this year, get with someone who is and maybe donate that $10 shipping for the person packing the box. That would be awesome. Um, like I said, don't forget the label, and please pray over these boxes because they really do get where, where they're going to these children um, in very, very far-off lands. So thank you so much. That's all I had to say today. Thank you, Brenda. We appreciate your hard work. So get a box and be a part of Operation Christmas Child this year. Let's pray together. Father, I just pray for the kids that will be receiving the boxes from our church. Lord, we want to see, or we hope that many of these kids will actually be drawn closer to Christ through this. May the uh, Bible studies that get started and discipleship that happens all be a, a super big part of this. Lord, you've, you've given the, the best gift to us, Jesus Christ, and we just want to pass that on. So as a church, Lord, just help us to get involved. Thank you for bringing us together this morning, Lord. We want to hear from you through your word, through Pastor Mike. May the Holy Spirit just draw us close to you. May there be salvation come to somebody's heart today. Lord, we're thankful for the offering this morning as well. Just bless that as we give. We love you, Lord. Thank you for today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, men, we take the offering now.
Time for the kids to go to Super Church if they went through third grade and under. Oh, good morning. 
Glad you're here this morning. Man, I encourage you to really pray about and, and be generous in packing those shoe boxes. Take some, take two instead of one. Take four instead of two. Take eight instead of four. I don't care how you have to do it, but, but be generous. And, and not simply because there's needy kids around the world. There really are needy kids. Uh, to see that video is just really humbling to me. It's, it's, it's incredibly moving to me. Uh, some of those scenes, we've been to some of those places. The first time uh, Pastor Aaron and I ever saw any of the boxes were in Botswana probably 17, 18 years ago, way out by the Kalahari Desert, little bitty church, way out in the middle of nowhere. And there was boxes there from Samaritan's Ministries and so Samaritan's Purse. And so uh, they really do get out there. And, and quite honestly, you know, when we talk about things being difficult for us, guys, please, Please, uh, we don't have anything like some of the children in this world and some of the people in this world. Don't think that things are tough for us. We should be very, very, very generous. And so please uh, do that. And not just for gifts either, by the way, but for the love of Christ that gets to be shared as these boxes are given out. Uh, It is powerful for these children that live in abject poverty in many places in this world to actually find out that not only do people somewhere else love them, but that they love them because God loves them. And that's a big deal. So please, please do that. Um, and take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 16 this morning. We're going to talk about what do you say about Jesus? I mean, really, uh, when we ask that question, what do you say about Jesus? Or, or who do you believe Jesus is? Uh, we're asking some of the most powerful questions we're going to ask because to have the right answer to who Christ is means that leads to life, forgiveness of sins and eternal life. But to have the wrong answer means that you remain in your sins separated from God and condemned by God. It's huge to think about this today about who is Christ Jesus and to really know who he is. And so we're going to look at that and we're going to look at uh, Matthew 16, beginning in verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist and others, Elijah, but still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you're the Christ the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just need you today. Lord, when we we look past the facade of physical comforts, when we look past the, the shell that we put up claiming that we are good in ourselves and strong in ourselves, when we look past the things that we know, Lord God, are just temporary and realize that we are men and women with not just deep insecurities, not just deep needs, not just deep hurts, but we are men and women in need of a relationship with the living God who created us and who loves us. Lord, I pray 
that we would recognize that not only do we have that need in us, but that you have met that need through your son, Jesus Christ, and that all who would believe in him would have life. And then the light of Christ, the peace of Christ, the strength of Christ, the hope of Christ, all that is available in Christ would flood into our lives and be enough for us no matter what we go through. And I pray, Lord God, that each and every man and woman and boy and girl in this room would know that and that everyone in our city would know that. And you would just bless us, Lord God, with your presence today. Speak, we pray, through your word. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So here we continue on with our journey with Jesus. He has moved up to the north, to the far kind of north east corner, if you will, of Israel and Caesarea Philippi. Uh, he's probably as far north as he's been in his whole ministry. And, and it's an interesting thing because Jesus is not far from actually just turning his whole direction, his whole attention, his whole purpose to Jerusalem. In other words, we're going to see soon that he is, he is turning his attention and on his way to Jerusalem, even to the place where he's out in front of his disciples and they're following him. He's resolute going to Jerusalem. But before he gets there, he's continuing to do ministry. And in particular, he's continuing to do ministry to his disciples, right? He has a purpose for these men. He has a purpose for what he's trying to teach them. And, and obviously one of the things that he wants to know is what do they believe about him? He wants to know what the average guy on the street believes about him. It's time for him to begin to, to find out and to evaluate and to move in their lives. And that's actually a really big deal for us to see. I mean, whenever we read the Bible, sometimes we read it and we miss the fact that as Christ was walking through this world and doing miracles and doing ministry and teaching and all the things that he was doing, he wasn't just hoping somebody would see something good in him. He wasn't just hoping that people would hear something good from him. He wasn't just hoping that he could raise somebody that was crippled from birth so they could walk again. I mean, all those things are, are good things, but all the way through, he's calling people to himself. He's calling people to believe in him. And literally, there's two ways to respond to Jesus. There's not more. There's two you believe in him and you follow him, or you reject him and you don't follow him. One leads to life, one doesn't. And so Jesus is coming to the place where he's wanting to know what these guys believe about him. It's interesting if you look at the, the scriptures, especially just the book of Matthew, if you want to go that far. Up until this place, he's never called himself Messiah. He's never called himself Christ. He's never called himself Savior. He's never revealed, even to the disciples, just the very clear, plain explanation of who he is. Because there's a time for that. Because they need to come to that on their own at some degree. Matter of fact, the only way Jesus up until this point has referred to himself is by Son of Man. Son of Man was kind of a little bit... A little bit obscure reference. It's come from the book of Daniel. It literally is a definition of the Messiah. It literally is screaming that he is the Savior that God was sent into this world. But it wasn't a well-known thing. It was kind of a cloudy thing. It was kind of, we're not sure what that actually means. Like when a guy would say that about himself. If I said to you, hey, I call myself son of man. <laughs> you guys would be like, uh, whatever have no idea what that means, but okay, right? Whatever. 
Well, that's kind of what he's doing. He's not showing anybody specifically who he is. Up until this point, there's only been one reference to him other than son of man, which was in chapters 9, 12, and 14. Some other people actually called him son of David, which was clearly a messianic term. But even then, they probably didn't fully understand what was going on here. Uh, The truth of the matter is, is that everybody wanted to know who Jesus was. I mean, that's kind of why the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes would come to him. They would want him to say, tell us who you are, which is kind of funny. Because if you can't figure out that a man who can heal the lame and make the crippled well and make the blind to see and the deaf to hear and the mute to speak and raise the dead, if you can't figure out who that is, telling them wasn't going to help. Right, so we're at this kind of critical place. Now, Jesus is about to head to the cross. These guys need to know who he is because he's going to leave these disciples behind to carry out his ministry to be the foundation for the church. Christ, the cornerstone, the disciples and the prophets, the foundation. I mean, this is big for him. So he comes to them and he says, who do people say that the son of man is? And basically all he's, all he's asking them is not tell me who the son of man is. He's telling them, who do people say that I am? Who does the regular guy on the street say that I am? And it's interesting to me because they give, a, they give a pretty good answer. I mean, they say, first of all, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And, and the interesting thing to me is that these would be very honoring people that some people claim that he is. And basically what they're saying is people see something special about you They see that you are a prominent person. They see that you're a powerful person. They see that you're an influential person. But they still didn't see who he really was. Because quite honestly, Jesus isn't just John the Baptist. He wasn't just Elijah. He was nowhere near just Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Because if you're going to come to know who Jesus is, You can't just say you're a good man or a godly man. You have to worship. Uh, Let me just say this before I go any further. It's never going to be enough to say good things about Jesus. Jesus wasn't just a good man. Jesus wasn't just a good teacher. Jesus wasn't just a godly example for us. You can say those things about Jesus and not have any idea who Jesus is because You can say that about a lot of people sometimes. But when you find out who Jesus is, your only response is worship or reject. So he says, they say to him, well, John the Baptist. Well, we've already seen back in Matthew chapter 14 when it came to Herod, the wicked ruler of the time, that Herod said this must be John the Baptist when talking about Jesus because it must be John the Baptist raised from the dead because he's doing miraculous things. And part of that was because Herod had killed him. Herod had had him beheaded. And so he had this kind of complex about John the Baptist. But quite honestly, (coughs) uh, there's no way Jesus could have been John the Baptist. They were contemporaries, right? They lived together. They, John the Baptist baptized him. He wasn't John the Baptist, so that shot low. 
Others said that he was Elijah. And just to get a little context about who Elijah was, Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6 says, Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. In other words, some people said, well, he is the, the prophet that's supposed to come prepare the way for the Lord. This would have been a big deal, right? Because Malachi said, this guy's coming. This would have been something that would have meant that, hey, something big is yet to come, but Elijah has come. So that would have been a pretty, pretty high level you know, confession. Jesus could be Elijah, except that in Matthew 11, Jesus had spoken of John the Baptist, literally being Elijah, the one that would come prepare the way for the Lord. So, so he's not Elijah. He's not John the Baptist. Others said he could be Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. We don't really know why he said Jeremiah. You could speculate if you wanted to, but there's no need for that because really what they're saying is he could be one of these guys that speaks directly from God. Like that's what a prophet was. Jeremiah was a powerful prophet. You read his book and he was strong and he was committed and he was humble and he, he spoke truth even though they were persecuting him for it. But even then, even saying he could be Jeremiah, which would have been a huge compliment to Jesus or about Jesus, he wasn't any of those things. You know, it's just, it's interesting to me that you know, when people talk about Jesus, and it's, it's completely different today, seemingly, but, but when they were talking about Jesus, they wanted to say, all right, we see something about him that's not normal, but we, we don't want to see who he really is. It's a little bit different today because, man, if you actually talk to people about Jesus— I'm not just talking about talking to people about whatever. If you actually have the purpose in your life that says, I'm going to be in this position, I'm going to be here in this location, I'm going to be at this job, I'm going to be in this neighborhood, and I'm going to talk to people about Jesus. And you actually begin to talk to them about Jesus, and you quickly find out when you do that, that, man, they don't have any clue about Jesus. It's not that they have you know, some clue, and it's the wrong clue, they don't have any clue about Jesus. I mean, just this week, you know, I had the opportunity to, to be with somebody, and I was talking with them, and, and I always want to kind of press buttons and see what happens, try to open doors for conversations. And so, you know, we're talking about these different things in our life, and I, I just had the chance to talk about, you know, the time as God humbled me and Beth and, and really just broke us to the place where, you know, we needed Christ and we're seeking God's help. And we didn't really know all that we were looking for, but, you know, just this crumbling time. And I told this guy about that and said, you know, and then, and then Christ just radically changed my life. And I mean, radically changed my life. Like I can't even describe it. And uh, his response was, well, you know, whatever works for whoever, you know, which is not an uncommon response. You, whatever works for you is good. Whatever works for me is good. And then he actually says to me, well, 
I like where I'm at in my life and I like the man I've become. And I went, well, good for you. I, I'm not going to fault him for that. Except that, like the man that you've become, is still a man separated from Christ. You're still a man without Christ, a man without God, a man without hope, a man condemned, right? I mean, guys, don't think that this world has got Jesus figured out. Don't think that this world has any clue who he is. Most people in this world, in Casper, Wyoming, I mean, let's keep it close to home, right here in our town that we like and we live in and we are thankful for, don't have Jesus figured out. Even if they would acknowledge that he's somebody good, it won't be enough for them to have eternal life. It won't be enough for them to escape God's judgment. It won't be enough for them to find depth and meaning and hope and life. That only comes through Jesus. You should ask him sometime, who do you say Jesus is? Be an interesting conversation. So he asks them, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they give him the answer. And you know, it's interesting because Jesus doesn't even really respond to them. He doesn't say, well, that's ridiculous. I can't be John the Baptist, right? He doesn't say, well, no, actually, Elijah was John the Baptist. That's how that works. He doesn't say any of that. He just goes on and he asks them the more important question. But who do you say that I am? Man, you talk about the important question for you and I today and honestly, every day. Whether you know Christ as your Savior or not, you should be asking, who do you say Christ is, you should ask yourself, who is he to me? Because it makes all the difference in how you respond to the circumstances in your life, to the good times and the bad times, to the blessings and the trials. It makes all the difference in the world about who Christ is. And so he says, who do you say that the son of man is? And Simon Peter, and I love Peter, uh, P- Peter's one of those kind of brash guys, you know, one of those guys that's always speaking up. But, but Peter, obviously as the spokesman, he basically stands up looking at his fellow disciples and he says to Jesus, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And man, if we knew what that meant today, if we would consider what that meant today, there'd be a collective gasp. I mean, we would be like, what? There'd be murmuring that would go across the sanctuary, and there probably should be, because quite honestly, you know, we've heard this passage of Scripture. If you've been in church for very long at all, you've heard this passage of Scripture, rightfully so. It is the confession, right? This is the first confession of Christ in the gospel of Matthew. It's the first statement of who Jesus really is. And let's be honest, it was the most profound truth that men had ever heard of or the greatest scandal that men had ever heard of. 
This was no casual confession about Jesus. This was no, you know, kind of insignificant thing. I mean, to be the Christ meant to be the Messiah. It meant to be the anointed one. It meant to be the sent one from God that God had promised to send since Genesis chapter 3. I mean, the Jews were waiting for the Messiah. If you ask a practicing Jew today, they are still waiting for the Messiah because they rejected Jesus, right? This is pivotal. I mean, they wanted the Messiah to come. They needed the Messiah to come. They believed that once the Messiah, when, when the Messiah come, came, they would, he would restore the kingdom of Israel in the physical world. They didn't fully understand what it meant for him to be Messiah, but they were wanting him and waiting for him to come. And if this was him, it was incredible for them. It would have been the greatest news of all time for them. By the way, the greatest news of all time for us because he came for us as well, right? I mean, I want, let me share some, some promises that God had given so that you could see why they were waiting so anxiously for the Messiah to come. Genesis 3.15 that I just mentioned, it's right after the time that Adam and Eve rebelled against God. It's right after the time, no, they didn't fall into sin. Yes, they had been deceived, but they rebelled against God. Things were broken. They were naked. I mean, God had to clothe them with some skins, and he was driving them out of the Garden of Eden. It was an ugly time. It was the the worst thing that ever had happened in the world was this sin came into the world. And and here is this consequences coming. The the ground is not going to produce the fruit like it once would. And women are going to have pain in childbirth. And there's all these things coming because of the consequences of sin. And the greatest one, you're going to die separated from God. But God's going to speak to the serpent who's deceived them. And he says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him or crush or he shall crush you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. That's how that reads literally. And it's this first promise that God's going to send a descendant of man, right? Of woman, somebody from the line in the flesh of men and women is going to come and he's going to crush the devil and the evil and the deception and the ugliness of the devil. There's gonna be a savior. That's what that means. So they're waiting because God had promised even from the beginning that he was going to overcome evil. Well, in Genesis twenty-two eighteen, God says to Abraham, in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. And so after God had chosen Abraham to be the father of Israel, his people, God tested Abraham. Do you remember Abraham waited until he was 100 years old to have a baby. I still can't get over that. 90-year-old wife, crazy, powerful, amazing God. And then when Isaac was about 14, God came and said to him, take your son, your only son, and go where I show you and offer him as a sacrifice before me. It's one of those times where you read in the Bible and you're like, what in the world would God ask that of Abraham? Why? I mean, guys, most of us won't give away five minutes for the Lord, let alone actually sacrifice a child to show how much we love him, right? Right? 
It's one of those stories where most of us are more offended at God than we are offended at our lack of faith in God. But Abraham goes. He's got the boy tied up. He's got the knife raised up. We later learn that Abraham believed that either God would stop him or God would raise his son from the dead. He believed God. Such powerful faith in the living God who's good. And God said, no, no, stop, stop, stop. I never wanted you to kill your son, right? I wanted to see if you would. I wanted to see if you loved me first. Yeah, we find that offensive, don't we? Because we never want God to ask that much of us. But he has the right. He has the right. But after he stops him, and after God provides the ram for the, for the sacrifice, God comes back and he says to Abraham, through your seed, I'm going to bless all the nations of the earth. And I love Galatians chapter 3 because it clarifies that for us a little bit. It says, now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say and to seeds as referring to many, but rather to one and to your seed. That is Christ, right? So he's made this promise that the Messiah is coming and they know it. If that weren't enough, over in 2 Samuel seven sixteen, God promises David, your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever, and your throne shall be established forever. Now, these are just a few of the promises. He said to David, <clears throat> you're going to have a, a descendant whose throne is going to be established forever. And the Jews knew, <clears throat> you and I should know from what God says through us through in the Old Testament that God promised a Messiah. He promised he would come. He promised there would be a Savior. He promised there would be one that would overcome sin and overcome death and give life and restore our relationship with God. He promised. And they'd been waiting. And they should have been waiting. You and I should be waiting then if you don't have a Savior, you should be praying to have a Savior. You should have someone that's going to give you life and victory in this world besides yourself. Besides yourself. And I just talked to somebody this week, and they were telling me that they'd read an article that Casper has the highest suicide rate per capita in the world. In the world per capita. And they were telling me that Casper is one of these places that has pretty high level mental health institutes and places that we can go and doctors and counselors and treatment. And we spend a ton of money in Casper, Wyoming on mental health. And we have the highest per capita suicide rate in the world. Now tell me, do we need a savior? Do we need a savior? Are we looking to ourselves or looking to men to help us and finding out they're not sufficient for us? If we're not looking, we should be. Amen? Well, they've been waiting. And now Peter, he says, you, you are the Christ. You, you're the promised one. You're the one Savior. There's not many Saviors. 
There's one. The world we live in today tells us whatever savior you pick should be good enough. Whatever God you worship should be good enough. But that's not God's plan. God's plan is there's one savior. And Peter says, you're the savior. You're the Christ. You're the one. There is no other. And it was powerful. I'm sure there was some freedom and some joy for Peter to actually let it out. You're the one. But he didn't stop by saying, you're just the Christ. He said, you're the son of the living God. Now, I don't know which one was more powerful. I mean, it was scandalous to call a man God, which is exactly what that meant. I'll show you in a minute. Jesus looked like everybody else. He spoke like everybody else. I mean, he didn't use just deep and confusing words. He wasn't some guru. He was a man that could relate to you. He was born in Bethlehem and moved to Nazareth, the backside of nowhere. I mean, he was from a little tiny village. He wasn't prominent. He wasn't, you know, a, a name, if you will, a family name of prestige. He was just a man. And Peter's gonna say, you, you're God? Look around you. Would it be scandalous if somebody sitting here that looked like us claimed to be God? (laughs) Trust me, scandalous. Man, it says over in John, let me read a little bit out of John chapter 10, verses 27 through 39, so you can see kind of how scandalous it was. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. The Jews picked up stones to stone him. They were gonna kill him. By the way, no one should ever claim to be God who is not. That's pretty offensive. So that's what they were thinking. You're claiming to be God. You should never claim that if you're not. Matter of fact, you should die. Well, Jesus answered them, I showed you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you stoning me? And the Jews answered him, for a good work, we do not stone you, but for blasphemy. And because you being a man, make yourself out to be God. Jesus answered them, has it not been written in your law? I said, you were gods. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken. Do you say of him whom the father sanctified and sent into the world? You are blaspheming because I said, I am the son of God. Now I read all that. I could read some more, but they're going to try to stone him again. But I read all that because when he said, I and the Father are one, he didn't say, I'm the Son of God. But later on, he equates it to being the Son of God, right? When he says, you are the Son of the living God, he's not saying, you're some guy. <clears throat> he's not, you're not saying like the Mormons say, all of us are sons and daughters of God. No, he's saying, you are God, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. He was God. It was so scandalous. I mean, can you imagine why 
people didn't want to confess Christ as Lord and Savior. Can you imagine the struggle it was? I mean, it's a struggle for us today to, to figure out what we're going to do with Jesus. Who is Jesus? And people don't want to say he's the only Savior. People don't want to say he's literally God and he came as a man. And he died this sinless, this death after living a sinless life for the ransom of the world. They don't want to confess that about Jesus because if they do, they have to confess that yes, we must worship him. We must bow down before him. We can't just have this casual relationship. We can't just say, hey, he's a good guy. You know, he's the good guy upstairs, like a lot of people say. No, we have to understand that it's scandalous to claim to be God when you're not. But there's nothing scandalous about it when you are. And there's nothing scandalous about it when you confess that he is. One of the most amazing things about this passage of Scripture is is verse 17, because it is the way Jesus responds to Peter's confession. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. It is humanly impossible to confess Christ as Lord and Christ as Savior if God doesn't make it known to us. Now, I know some people, when you say that, they somewhat get offended. But here's what should happen. What should happen is that you should look at Peter and these apostles and go, what kind of grace has Jesus in his life that he would look at these men, these common average fishermen and other men that were nothing special, not in anybody's eyes, who were then brought to Jesus and God said, this is the Savior. This is my son. This is the one. You want blessings in your life? I mean, we talk about blessings all the time, but most of the time when we talk about blessings, it's, well, I got this and I have that and I have this and I have that and it's all about the flesh. All those aren't blessings at least not big blessings. Those are things we can tell God thank you for. But Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon. Because flesh and blood didn't, re- didn't reveal this to you. You didn't figure this out. But my Father made this known to you. Do you see how much he loves you? That's what he said. Do you see how much God loves you by revealing the truth to you about who Jesus Christ is that you might be saved. It's incredible. Over in John chapter 6, another kind of parallel passage, verses 41 through 45, it says, Therefore the Jews were grumbling about him because he said, I'm the bread that came down out of heaven. They were saying, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know, How does he now say, I have come down out of heaven? Jesus answered and said to them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. It's still pretty scandalous, isn't it? I mean, you want 
you want people to think you're crazy? I mean legitimately crazy. You start going around saying, I believe that Jesus is the only way to salvation. And I believe that Jesus was God and is God today. That's what I believe. You just start telling them that and see if they don't think that you're certifiably nuts. And they'll be kind of offended. And not just kind of. I mean, you want to close a conversation quickly. Bring it to the place where you say, you know what I believe? I believe that Jesus is the only Savior and that he is God and always has been. And find out if your conversations don't close fairly quickly. And if they don't, hallelujah, because the door's open for you to share truth with these people. No one comes to the Father unless, or comes to Christ unless the Father draws him. I mean, it is a scandalous thing. It's an amazing thing. It's a glorious thing to realize who Jesus is. Some of us are here this morning and we can say, you're the Christ, the son of the living God, and we should. If you're not telling people that we know Jesus Christ is the Savior, he's the Messiah, and he's the only way to salvation, if you're not telling people that, you should be. There's nothing about that confession that is in any way dishonoring or embarrassing or in any way, you know, some kind of demeaning thing, man. Thank the Lord. Man, when I talk to people about Jesus and they kind of brush it off or they kind of brush me off or they want to change the subject or they want to argue, man, I love it. I don't even want to argue with them. I don't need to argue with them. I have life. I can be gracious to them because what they're saying to me doesn't bother me. It doesn't impact me. It doesn't demean who I am. I have life. I've been forgiven. Man, what I have, they can't take from me. So let them, dis- let them tell me I'm crazy. Let them tell me they don't agree with me. That's fine with me. I'm sitting there praying for them that they might come to know Christ, that God might reveal to them the truth about Jesus Christ. It doesn't in any way bother me that they don't agree with me. I'm the blessed one. How about you? Are you the blessed one? Blessed are you because flesh and blood did not reveal that to you. Blessed are you because the Father in heaven revealed that to you. Blessed are you to have Christ Jesus in your life. Man, we are so blessed. Who do we say Christ is? And if we say he is the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of the living God, man, we should be worshiping and giving glory. Some of you, man, you've heard this morning, you've heard there is a Savior, there's one sent from God who did everything necessary for you to be forgiven paid every ounce of the price for you to be forgiven. He came for you. He loves you. And if you call upon his name, the Bible says, you shall be saved. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Do to me as you wish. I'm going to be saved. I am saved. And nothing's going to separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. So we're going we're gonna to pray and we're going to sing. 
If you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, I invite you to come down and pray with one of us. But I invite you to stand today and say, I, I believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He's my Savior. And I'm not sorry. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us. That love is unlike any love that anyone could ever offer at any level. It is the greatest gift. It is life. It is hope, strength. It's peace. It's joy, security. It's a relationship with you whereby we don't have to depend on ourselves any longer or prove anything to anybody any longer because you've got us and you won't leave us. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We love you. And how I pray, Lord Jesus, for those that you're moving in their hearts right now. I pray that they would confess that you are the Christ, the son of the living God, and that today they would be born again, that they'd be saved and forgiven through the work that you do in their life. Lord Jesus, may you strengthen the believers. May you draw those that need you. May you send us out into this community to share this truth with others, unashamed and thankful. And Lord, we'll give you praise. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, let's sing, let's respond to Christ today.
Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Thank you, Lord, for being so gracious to us that you have revealed to many of us in this room that you alone are the Christ, the Messiah, and that you alone are God and came and gave his life that we might have forgiveness and a restored relationship with you. Thank you for revealing that to us. Lord, our city needs you desperately. Please, Lord, let us share our confession. Let us share who you are with them. Let us love them, be patient with them, take opportunities to teach them, to care for them. But we pray you draw many, Lord God, to Jesus, to set them free, Lord, from the things that are crushing them. Lord, give us hope and peace in Christ because we have it. Allow us, Lord God, to to not just be unashamed of you, but Lord Jesus, to take joy in you, even in opposition or persecution or disagreement. We are the ones that are safe. We are the ones that are blessed. May we rejoice in that. We love you, Lord, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.